Welcome to Work It, a show about work. This is a work of satire containing mature themes. Pour le service en français, appuyez sur le 1. For writer and performer Sam Alamang, please press 2. For writer and performer Janet Mowat, please press 3. For a measured and insightful discussion of this option is unavailable. For a comedic look at such hard-hitting topics as icebreakers, Oprah, desk terriers, and barnyard fun, please stay on the line. <sighs> What's wrong, Sam? Janet, I'm so shy and awkward. How can I possibly record a half hour of high-energy, balls-to-the-wall workplace comedy? You know what you need, Sam? A stiff drink, I know. But I'm trying to cut back. Oh. Hmm. Why? What's plan B? Uh... Oh, I know! Let's play an icebreaker! <sighs> we are going to play the classic icebreaker game, Two Truths and a Lie. So Sam, you're gonna go first, Two Truths and a Lie. Your topic is odd jobs. Okay. One odd job I had was doing volunteer web development for an educational company in Myanmar. At the risk of uh, betraying my stupidity, I don't know what Burma is to Myanmar. I think Myanmar is the junta-approved name, and Burma is the good guy's name. Well, uh, don't at us. We're definitely right. <laughs> Another odd job I had was being a guitarist on a cruise ship. And another odd job I've had is uh, working in a book distribution warehouse where I pushed around a shopping cart basically all day and listened to soft rock. What, uh, what specific soft rock? What's the Toronto one? Is it Kiss 92? I can, because their playlist is like about three songs long. I can recite to you basically the songs I heard uh, that entire summer or so. Uh, starting with my favorite, uh, Kobe <laughs> Kaye. You know that one? Were you aware at the time that other radio stations existed? I was junior. I wasn't going to tell the 60-year-old Greek man to change the radio. <laughs> where, where did this cruise ship sail to? Well, Janet, I'm so glad you asked. Um, the cruise ship departed from the Isle of Calypso, um, there were some sexy ladies singing a little song. I couldn't hear it. I was tied up at the time. <laughs> wink, wink. How long did these cruises last? So we were rehearsing for about 10 years. Um, our band sacked the ancient city of Troy, and then we sailed, uh, cruised for about 10 years. Do I have to now guess what was your lie? Do we have to keep keep up with the charade? <laughs> so Janet, now it is your turn. Uh, so my two truths and a lie, not in that order, about odd jobs. Truth or lie number one. I worked for one summer uh, in undergrad as a painter and I fell off a ladder and broke my wrist. Cool. Story number two. Thanks to an odd job that I worked, I have two degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Mm -hmm. And story number three, I played in a band and for one of our gigs, a stripper opened for us. All right, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna suss you out here. If you were really a painter, riddle me this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Guernica 
Rodin's Thinker. Which one of those is a painting? I don't know what Guernica is, so I'm going to say Rodin's Thinker, the statue, is a painting. <laughs> okay, okay, I think we've uh, caught you out in your fib. Hmm, a stripper opened for you. Correct. What was she stripping? Clothes off of her body. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. There are several worst parts. One of the worst parts was that she took the stripper pole down after her set so that we didn't even have it on stage when we played. The other hmm. worst part was that there were like under seven people in the audience apart from the band. The other other worst part was that two members of the band were my brother and my cousin. Okay. This checks out. Middle one was Kevin Bacon. What is Kevin Bacon? Who does Kevin Bacon know? Janet, are you French Stewart? One person he's connected with is Rob Zombie. Seeing as you don't know about Pablo Picasso's legendary <laughs> war painting. Oh, that one. <laughs> you were never a painter. Oh, no. Uh, you're right, Sam. I was never a painter. I have broken my wrist, but not in that context. And since, since I didn't even bother guessing before, my guess for you, Sam, is that you were not a musician on a cruise ship. Is that true? Dagnammit, she <laughs> caught me. It was Odysseus all along. Are you feeling less shy and anxious now, thanks to our icebreaker? No way, that sucked. Pour me a drink. A typical early morning meeting at the office. But what's this? So, uh, would anyone like to kick us off? Low energy among the staff? This looks like a job for... The Icebreaker! Greetings, loyal employees of Smith & Co. Solutions. Icebreaker, save us from our ennui! Never fear, worker. Quickly, everyone, form a circle and join hands in the middle. Then see if you can untangle yourselves. Aww. You'll thank me later. Yes, wherever energy lags, wherever creative juices refuse to flow, the icebreaker is there to enforce mandatory simulated fun. Janet, it's time for the absolutely gangbuster segment, Some of Sam's Summaries. Summaries! Today's summary is from the National Post. The election may be about the economy, but don't tell business by Kevin Carmichael. Obviously, this article is written in the midst of a Canadian federal election kicking off, and it opens with Jagmeet Singh's pitch to the voters. No more catering to big corporations or the ultra-rich, Singh tweeted. We need to put people first. Now, Kevin Carmichael, that pitch might have made the NDP special in the past, but not in 2019. Listen to this, Janet. There is no constituency that has been catered to less in recent years than businesses that employ more than a few dozen employees. So this author's opening salvo is that Canadian big business is the real victim here. Pretty much. Uh, the article's thesis, as far as I can tell, I mean, I think you can see this here, none of the major party leaders are adequately celebrating wealthy business owners slash leaders. Um, <laughs> I just want to get over that. Carmichael, I guess, is taking issue that corporations 
are being unfairly treated versus, and let's not gloss over this, the people. So I guess Carmichael thinks that, you know, people have a sweetheart deal. (laughs) I'm not sure how to even begin to process that statement that government is focusing too much on the people and this needs to stop. Right, you know, it's what they call letting the mask slip or what they also call uh, saying the quiet part loud, right? (laughs) We care too damn much about people and not enough damn much about corporations. Get over the people already, jeez. Um, but not only is it the relatively left-wing party, the NDP, that is uh, sticking it to big business, it's everybody. Nobody is nice enough to big business. Yeah, this surprises me. He writes, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau appears to make economic policy by reading the briefs sent his way by various corporate lobbies and then doing the opposite of what they recommend. <laughs> Andrew Scheer, the conservative leader, presents the wealth of Trudeau and finance minister Bill Morneau as a weakness. I'm really curious to hear what his conclusion is, because is he not aware that political parties have to pander to the common man because the common man is the person who goes out and votes for them? And it's not, in fact, the corporate elite. Yeah, uh, up to this point, uh, it remains true that elections are determined by voters. <laughs> Incidentally, I'm going to refer to Mr. Carmichael as Carbuncle from the rest of this, you know, like the skin affliction. I'm going to call him Fart Michael. So there's one more quote <laughs> I want to uh, read to you. Farty Pants, or whatever his name says, the campaign will be remarkable because it appears destined to take place with little regard for the enterprises that create most of the country's wealth. That's disconcerting if you believe, as I do, that Canada's fundamental economic weakness is its lack of competitiveness. Okay, devil's advocate, what does competitiveness mean? I guess Carbuncle Head thinks it means you have to coddle big businesses to be competitive. Presumably deregulation, tax breaks. Building pipelines. Could the argument not be made that competitiveness is funding education and training programs through progressive taxation? Uh, Maybe competitiveness could have something to do with investing in infrastructure and public works projects? Um, Yeah, I don't know about your ideas, Sam, because that sounds an awful lot like investing in the future to me, which seems to run counter to Fart Michael's ideals. The most important thing is uh, maximizing shareholder return every three months. What a disaster. But speaking of the federal election, we bring you this very important message. And now a message from the Carbuncle Party of Canada. This November, Canadians face a choice. For too long, the people of Canada have suffered. Meanwhile, corporations enjoy record profits. On election day, vote for the Carbuncle Party of Canada and send those other party leaders a message. The message is... Buddy, you ain't seen the half of it. The people have gotten a sweetheart deal. Weekends, vacations, workers' comp, don't make me barf. Ruh-roh, there go my spats. The Carbuncle Party will grind down Canadian workers into a supple goo to lubricate the machinery of capital. Ha <laughs> ha! You love it, don't you? You piggies make me sick. Greenbelt Timber! Breathable air? Choke on it. <laughs> Drinkable water? Cry me a river. If you're not helping the bottom line of our nation's puffiest oligarchs, well friend, go f*** yourself. <laughs> 
Don't take it from me. How about these real Canadians? Someone with pink hair was mean to me on Twitter. On election day, vote for end times. Vote Carbuncle. I'm a boomer, and as such, I'm voting based on a meme of some minions calling the other candidates pedophiles. On election day, vote Carbuncle Party, because if you're going down, you're taking everyone else with you. everyone, thank you so much for coming to our event. Now, who's ready for some networking? Oh no! This looks like a job for... Never fear, gentle business networkers! Help us, Icebreaker! Everyone's too shy to go meet people! Not a problem! Okay, folks, try to arrange yourselves in order of birth date without talking! Uh... Everyone put your shoes in a pile and we'll make a game of reuniting shoes with owners. Icebreaker, nothing's working. Could this be the end? Must find an activity even more uncomfortable. Our event is doomed. By the cabinet of Zorlax. Form two teams. You must remove articles of clothing and tie them into a rope. Whichever team has the longest clothing rope wins! But, but that'll mean everyone gets half-naked with their professional colleagues! Desperate times call for desperate measures, friend! Let's do it! You did it! This ungodly humiliation is so much fun! All in a day's work for the Icebreaker! Sam, I want to have a conversation with you about work hours. Well, so long as it's mandated by our college radio station, I'm on board. I won't take up too much of your time. So specifically, I want to talk about how much work is too much and how do you hold it together when you're working too many hours. So you and I, Sam, have pretty different feelings about what's a sustainable number of hours to work in a week. Would you agree with this? What Janet's saying is I'm hardworking and Janet's a, a layabout. What I'm saying is that you work an absurd, like, alarming number of hours in a week and I prioritize mental health and also my YouTube time. What do you think is a reasonable number of hours to work in a week, Sam? It's a difficult question to answer because I would be pretty happy doing nothing but working on something I loved and I don't want to spend a second working on something I don't love. I'm one of those millennials you see. We had a conversation a couple of weeks ago that sort of semi-inspired this segment uh, when you were talking about how you wanted to get more work done and you were musing aloud to me and you were thinking, you know what, I should probably just schedule in one all-nighter a week. You know, I probably delude myself here, but I've convinced myself I love an all-nighter. You know that Omega Man? I think he had it figured out. He could have written so many screenplays. Uh, I have been known to pull all-nighters, specifically throughout grad school and also in the early days of Work It, when we would leave all of our editing to the day before it was going on air. Yeah, and how did you find it? It doesn't suit you at all, eh? Unbearable. Absolutely the worst. Yeah, in a kind of mind over matter or total self-delusion way, the thrill of like what you accomplished there kind of supersedes 
the physical toil for me. That's beautiful. Yeah. What a wonderful attitude to have. This segment is turning into an intervention. Why have I tricked myself into thinking that's good? <laughs> it's not, Sam. So, okay, how many hours of work in a week do you think is a healthy, sustainable number of hours? Let's be generous and say seven hours of sleep. So that's 17. Let's say two hours of exercise and shower and blah, blah, blah is nice. That's 15 meals. I can get down to one hour for all three of them. So I'm at 14. Let's say I want one day off a week. So the correct number of hours to work a week is 84 hours. Oh my God. My perfect work week is 40 hours. That's 35 hours of working at my actual job and five hours a week working on this show. And then however many hours are left, sleeping and watching YouTube. Smash that fucking like button. So I've been learning about average work weeks in other countries. South Korea has one of the longest work weeks in the world. It used to be 68 hours a week, and they've recently brought it down to 52 hours a week of work. Um, I learned this from a BBC article that was talking about ways to maintain sanity when you're working too many hours. And I think this might be useful for you, Sam. Are you implying I've gone insane? Yes. Oh, good. In South Korea, where everyone works way too many hours, the one semblance of normalcy that that people have found is something called the desk terrier. So in South Korea, there's this, there's this trend called desk terrier, which is a combination of the words desk and interior for interior decorating. So sad, lonely, overworked millennials have started decorating their desks in very elaborate ways, following uh, cute color schemes or collecting stuffed animals or action figures to decorate their desks and let them pretend that they enjoy life for some amount of time. Golly, sounds better than a Dilbert comic. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if maybe this, is, this would be a good thing for you, Sam. What would you decorate your desk with? Hmm, if I was gonna desk-terrier my desk, uh, I saw that there's some Bernie Sanders action figures available. So one of those little guys, a little plastic figurine of an old man from Brooklyn would be nice. What about you, Janet? I mean, you you haven't demonstrated the same death drive-like commitment to 26-hour uh, workdays. But let's say you did. How would you desteriorify your own Yeah, desk? okay. So I think I would start with a hammock and I would bring, I would decorate with a blanket and a nice comfy pillow have like a decorative bottle of melatonin. Janet's just describing a freaking Seinfeld episode where George Costanza builds a bed underneath his desk. Oh yeah, that's right. Doesn't he also bang his cleaner or something? You could have it all, Janet. Why stop short of the hammock? <laughs> so Sam, if either of us was to uh, drop everything and move to South Korea to make a new life for ourselves, I would suggest that maybe you're the one to do it. Janet, I think you're right. See ya. Annyeong. All right, everybody, it's time for this week's installment of Instant Startup. What's Instant Startup, I hear you say? Instant Startup is a game where our fans give us lists of celebrities. We randomly select two of those celebrities, pair it with a randomly selected sector, and make a startup out of those celebrities and sector. Sounds good to me, Sam. This week's Instant Startup is as follows. 
Your founders are Oprah and Jay-Z, suggested by LaToya, and their startup is in the car dealer's import sector. Thank you for the suggestion, LaToya. Okay, Janet, let's start off by trying to figure out who does what. Oprah and Jay-Z, who is the boss? I feel like we can all agree that Oprah's the boss. Yeah, I mean, they're both moguls in their own right. Oprah dresses like the boss. I see her, she's got her immaculate hair, her, like, powered shoulder pads. Honestly, I'm less familiar with Jay-Z, so I can't comment. Okay, hello, she gave away free cars to the audience, so I think she knows a thing or two <laughs> about the automotive industry. Is Jay-Z the one who's married to Beyonce? Oh my god, this is, this is truly disgusting, <laughs> Janet. I'm not going to pretend I'm a Jay-Z expert, so we've got to uh, Google Jay-Z car songs and just get a sense. <laughs> oh. Do, do, do. Every car reference from Jay-Z's Magna Carta, holy grail. Okay. So he's familiar with the existence of cars. Oprah is known for giving away cars. Uh-oh. Because that's not a sustainable business model, Janet. I think in terms of moving units of vehicles, Oprah is ahead of Jay-Z currently. So Oprah's the boss. Jay-Z, is he working on the floor? Yeah, you're absolutely right. We've got Oprah in charge of the dealership, uh, Jay-Z working the floor. The next thing we want to figure out is who could they tap in their networks to bring into the car dealership? I know you've got one on the tip of your tongue. The one fact you, Janet, know about Jay-Z should come in handy right about now. He's married to Beyonce. Sam, did you know that? Therefore, he could bring in Beyonce to be better at his job than he is. Hmm, is she ready for that jelly? <laughs> I think she is absolutely ready for the jelly of getting you into a Prius. Uh, Oprah famously has the most loyal friend of all time. Gail! Gail, I think, would be her executive assistant who would, uh, like, cover up all of her mismanagement. So we've got Gail cooking the books is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. You can trust Gail to do that. She won't She won't fess up to anything. I do like the idea of Oprah's best friend Gail getting her hands dirty and Oprah's like, Gail, I don't want to know about the shady dealings that you're engaged in. I won't ask questions about why this car we just got in is full of blood. Take care of it. We need Rosie and Ellen's car dealerships dealt with. And then things are on fire the next day and Oprah just shrugs and said, I didn't say that, I just said dealt with. Gail's her fixer. Jay-Z maybe could also bring in Kanye. I don't know what exactly he'd do, but I just like the X factor that he might mix things up. Well then, I mean, with Kanye come various Kardashians, right? What does carpe diem mean? I think it means like zen. Okay, so they're the Kardashians. They, I guess they installed the dashes in the cars. Um, and maybe Kanye could supply the uniforms, you know, those kind of like tapioca smocks that he calls a fashion line. <laughs> um, it might be the most like monastic looking car dealership, but that could be pretty interesting. Um, isn't Kendall Jenner the quote unquote youngest self-made billionaire of all time? Janet, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Firefest 2, live at the D. <laughs> Dealership. So the dealership is going to be on Pablo Escobar's <laughs> former island. This is really coming together, Janet. Um, the last thing we want to do for this perfect startup, uh, the last thing we need is the name. Hear me out. 99 problems, but a lemon ate one. Get along. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. Well, okay, so we'll put a pin in that. What else do we have? He has a single called Tom Ford. Right. Could be like, you say the Tom part quiet and the Ford part loud. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so we do, okay. So it's so, the Tom 
Ford dealership. Sure. And I guess on, you know, Pablo Escobar, Cocaine Island, the same sort of copyright laws don't really apply. Because naming naming a brand new car startup Ford is a little <laughs> confrontational. <laughs> it's not Ford, it's Tom Ford. Cool. So the business name is Tom Ford Automobile. <laughs> Can their slogan still be 99 Problems but Eliminate One? Sure, yeah. Thanks, Sam. So we'd like to thank LaToya for the suggestion of Oprah and Jay-Z. And that's that. <laughs> Captain, we can't go any further. Yar, is there no force to break this ice for us? This looks like a job for... For... Go on, do that thing where you come crashing in and there's music and... I can't. Why not? Break some ice. You're the icebreaker. I just... I can't break that kind of ice. Oh. Or of a social lubricant kind of thing, you know. Well, that's dumb. You're dumb. Never fear, noble seaman! Who be this? It is I, the literal icebreaker! Oh no, not this lady again. Literal icebreaker, you saved us. Ooh, she's a much better icebreaker than you, you know that? Oh, uh, come on, does she know as many games as me? Hey, where are you going? Come back. I'm doing her dramatic announcements now. Later, loser, go play the telephone game or something. Well, you heard the voiceover, so come on, everybody. Earlier in the show, we were looking at an article about the role of big business in Canadian society. Ugh, don't remind me. The drama means wearing off. One thing we glossed over is how the article celebrates Maple Leaf Foods as model corporate citizens. They've got sustainability initiatives, don't you know? Oh, that's so conscientious of them. What's that look, Sam? Oh, don't tell me you think they're just cynically placating consumers' demand for climate action. Conscience, I'm sure. We decided to interview the board members of Maple Leaf Foods to get their take on this. Thank you for your time, board members. First question. How important is sustainability to you? Do you agree? Are you model corporate citizens? Okay, and what do you think? What's that? You have a presentation you'd like to share with us? Well, all right. Okay. Cause for alarm. I ran to the barn to take a look, see, yes, and but find out what the fuss might no, be. No, what does ethical capitalism mean to you? What's next for Maple Leaf Foods? I see a lot of nodding. What about retraining workers? Are you investing in R and D? No, I, I can't hear you. If you could turn the vein on the fiddle down just a touch. You in the corner is marketing importance! Panther, do you, do you even deal in Panthers? I, I can't hear you! The tractor! I can't hear you over the tractor! Are you happy with how the market has responded? Where's all that glass coming from? What do your investors say? Alright, if you can't beat them... Who's your partner, Lucido? Who's your partner, Dosido? Swing your partner to and fro. Swing your partner to and fro. Promenade 
made right out of town. It's squawking, quacking, barking, and a buying, neighing, graying, clunking, and a clucking, mooing, hooing, cock a doodle dooing, barn out, hold down, hold down, hold down. Thank you, board, for your time. That was the Maple Leaf Good Time Gang with Barnyard Hoedown coming in at number five. Checking in at number four, it's Corporal Toad and the Rainbow Explosion with I Dreamed I Saw a Gundam. Shooting up the charts to number three, it's the Widget Media Overlords with Work It Mandatory Corporate Sing Along. Work it, work it, hey, hey, hey. Work it, work it, happy day. Holding steady at number two, it's Janet and her family with Funky Janet. Hi, my name is Janet, the funkiest girl around. And back again at number one for the infinitieth consecutive week, here is the immortal Quincis Morera with Bongo Madness. There it is, folks, episode 29 of Work It in the Can. We laughed, we cried, we barfed on Janet's spats. Please follow us at at WorkItPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Doing so means you can join in the fun of pitching celebs for instant startup. Already doing that? Share the show with a friend or an enemy with good taste. And if you want to go above and beyond, a nice review in your podcast app of choice would mean the world to us. Well, maybe not the world. It would mean the Phoebe, fourth moon of Jupiter, to us. And that's still pretty good. See you next week, folks. for more news on the shows and events you love.